Good afternoon. <clears throat> it's quite a rainy afternoon here. And uh, welcome to Pigeon Post. My name is Michael. And I wanted to do a post today for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I'm, I'm driving from my my very far away job and it's probably the last time that I'm driving from my very far away job. <laughs> I think the job that I'll have soon is going to be less far away and uh, that's kind of how this whole thing got started was that the drive is so far. Um, I had time to do this and there were things on my heart that I wanted to talk about. So. Um, First off, I just want to praise God for just taking care of my family. This has been a really hard year. This kind of marks a year since we've left Houston and sought something better for my wife's health and really all of our health, and it's been really good. And um, so I wanted to talk about a couple of things today. Um, I think I'll just start with uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So, um, you know, it's come up a couple times uh, in these little monologues that I have some friends who either are Catholic or have become Catholic or um, friends of family, that kind of thing. And that my heart goes out them and that I've tried to talk to them in different ways and not always done a good job of that and um, that I've asked forgiveness for any time I've been unchristlike or not followed scripture's advice of being gentle or command rather than advice of being gentle and um, so I haven't gotten a lot of response I'm not sure if those folks are listening to these things or not that's okay. Um, I still want to talk, still, you know, love all of my friends and family no matter what. Um, but I've also gotten into just kind of getting on some of these discussion groups, trying to see, you know, what is it that really makes people want to be Catholic? And I will say that I've, I've gotten a little bit of response on that particular question from a few friends on why why are you Catholic you know what it what is it about Catholicism that really um, <clears throat> makes you want to be Catholic and um, I do have to say that there's some lack not all I mean I think some people are convinced that that's what the Bible teaches um, in some way when you put the Bible together with uh, tradition. Um, I would disagree with that, but uh, regardless, I don't think it's necessary to go into that. I think you can demonstrate that the Bible doesn't teach what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. But many of the answers have to do with just liking tradition, you know, liking um, the stability of it, or liking the practice, the practices that go along with it. And um, so yeah, I, I think there's been a varied response, but not an overwhelming, like, I believe this is what the Bible teaches, I've studied it through and through, 
and um, this coheres with the Bible better than anything else. And I think a lot of people will immediately attack uh, that suggestion that we should even look at the Bible to prove that um, because they disagree with the idea of sola scriptura. And I know that if there's any Eastern Orthodox listening, they disagree with that as well. And um, so first I want to talk about that because I'm going to be quoting a Bible passage and trying to prove that we're saved by faith alone. And I think even if that proof is a little convincing, um, that a person in one of these groups can just kind of say, well, you know, I don't believe that your interpretation is right, and all of you Protestants kind of make up your own interpretations, and you all disagree with each other, and so I don't have to listen to any of you. You know, Sola Scriptura doesn't work, that kind of idea. Well, first off, let's define what Sola Scriptura is. Sola Scriptura, it doesn't mean that we only ever listen to the Bible. So Sola Scriptura doesn't mean that um, I don't listen to sermons from my pastor, that I can't listen to sermons from other pastors or read books from different theologians of all different backgrounds and find truth. Um, that's definitely not what Sola Scriptura means. But Sola Scriptura does mean that all of that truth that I do find in other places, be it in the church, out of the church, tradition, new stuff, doesn't really matter, all of that stuff has to cohere and ring true, or to put it more practically, it can't violate what's explicit or strongly taught in the Bible. So, um, here's what we mean. Joseph Smith of Mormon fame, he's the first Mormon, I guess you'd call him, the founder of Mormonism, said he saw God the Father in a physical body appear to him and Jesus, and they told him all this stuff. So, what, I'm not sure what the history was, but what should have happened is everyone should have said, um, please go away with that story. <laughs> because God the Father does not have a body. So you can't see God the Father in a physical form standing next to Jesus, who does have a body in a physical form, and make God into an old man. Because God is not a man. And there's many other things that Mormonism teaches that does not ring true. Now, will they pick up a Bible and try to explain it to you? Yes, they can do some gymnastics, as I like to call it. Um, exegetical gymnastics. They will look for strange, plausible interpretations, which Paul warns us about in Colossians. Say, look, if you do this and this and this and this, um, and meanwhile they have their, what's called a quad, there are four holy books all bound together. It looks like a really thick Bible, but it's not just the Bible. It's all these other things with it. The Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrines and Covenants, I believe, is the quad. And uh, I always um, like to say when I'm talking to them, which I love talking to them, and I think they like talking to me. We have good conversations. 
Um, but anyway, I always just like to point out, if I duct taped something to this Bible, ugh, that didn't come out right. If I duct taped another book to this Bible, okay, I could try to make a lot of things sound true as well from the Bible because I'm putting right alongside it something else of equal authority. Now, what I'm, what I'm asking you, dear brother and sister, um, whether you're Catholic or what, whatever, and I guess specifically for the Catholics, or if, you're in, if you're into some other form of authority besides Sola Scriptura, that other thing that you claim has authority, are you going to duct tape it to your Bible? Are you going to duct tape the Catechism of the Catholic Church to your Bible? Are you going to duct tape, you know, sermons by um, the Church Fathers to your Bible? Deep in your heart, and we can prove from Scripture as well, we know, you know that you shouldn't do that. You know that the Bible is the Word of God. Whether you believe it contains the Apocrypha or not is really irrelevant. I'm saying, are you going to duct tape church tradition to the Bible? You know, are you going to print out your liturgy and duct tape it in with the same authority? Um, I hope not. I hope not. Sola Scriptura, all it says is what we all know is true already. That when Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, that what was written by the finger of God had the highest authority. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt. Thou shalt not. All of the commandments, the Ten Commandments, were written by the finger of God. Such is all Scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. So inspired doesn't mean we get, uh, you know, a little shiver kind of feeling when we read it. That doesn't, that's not what that means. It means that all scripture is breathed out. It comes from the mouth of God. You know, um, when a pastor says something that's incorrect, um, it may be serious, it may be not serious. Um, is that thing that he is saying, does that carry the authority of God's word? We know that it doesn't. We absolutely know that it doesn't. Okay, one of the biggest things that Protestants and Catholics and Eastern Orthodox disagree on is this idea that we're saved by faith alone. And just the way I, I tried to clear up a misunderstanding about Sola Scriptura, because I think it's rejected a lot of times in a misunderstood way. Like, it's not understood what it really means. It's really saying something really simple. Um, the same thing is true about the doctrine of faith alone. So many um, non-Protestants will say, well, you're, you're saying that somebody can get saved and then do whatever they want. No, that is not what faith alone means. It does not mean that a person can get saved, whatever that means, we'll talk about in a second, and then do whatever they want to do. Because we're not saved by works, 
Let me ask you this. Has a Protestant ever told you that we're saved by sin? I hope not. <laughs> we're not saved by sin. So when a Protestant says we're saved by faith alone, do you really think that they're saying we're saved by faith plus sin? We're supposed to go out and sin. No. And, and brother and sister, listen, this, this is a normal reaction to the, the correct preaching of the gospel. When Paul preached the gospel correctly, which was always, right? We can see in Romans, and I think in other places as well, that the objection comes out. Are we to sin so that grace may increase? People thought Paul was so over the top with preaching grace and faith alone. We'll talk about that word alone in a second. People thought that he was so over the top in preaching that, that they were prone to misunderstand or misrepresent and say, you're saying we can sin as much as we want. So Paul addresses that. I mean, Paul hears the objection all the time. That's why he addresses it in Romans. I believe it's chapter six or seven. Um, he says, no, God forbid that we would send the grace increase. Grace makes a change in the sinner. So that's the other thing to understand. A person that's saved has been given a new heart by God. So that new heart has new desires. Does it mean we're perfect? No. But it means that the new desire is to walk with God. And so sin should decrease. Now the person that is going through this new experience might feel more sinful than they ever have. They might start confessing more sins than they ever have because they see how good God is. The more we see of God, the more we see his character. We see how good he is and we see how sinful we are. So first off, please don't misunderstand the doctrine of faith alone. It does not mean at all that you can keep sinning and that that is the design. Um, nobody is ever going to reach perfect uh, sinlessness um, until heaven. That's the process of sanctification. God's making us more like him and he will glorify us. He will make us sinless when we go to be with him because no sin can be in his presence. So the doctrine of faith alone, let's take a look at that. Um, the first objection that I hear quite frequently is that is people want to run to the book of James, which is scripture, it's good. But people want to run there and say, wait a minute, the only place that says faith alone in the Bible <coughs> is in James. And then they read it, say, and it says, um, you see that a man is not saved by faith alone. So they want to um, say, look, sola, sola fide is here condemned in the book of James. Well, let's put James to the side just for a second. And let's start with what Paul says. And I think it doesn't make sense at all to take the book of James and let it rule all 13 letters of Paul. If Paul clearly teaches something, and it's clearly taught throughout scripture, 
then whatever James is saying must cohere with what Paul is saying. Scripture is not going to contradict itself. So it does neither party any good to say that James says faith without works is dead. That means that we're not saved by faith. We're saved by faith plus works. And that position makes us disregard everything that Paul stood for. There has to be a coherence going on here. So let's start with Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Paul clearly says this whole point of the doctrine of faith alone, you know what's underneath it is that we can't save ourselves. Paul says you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. Why didn't he say you're saved by faith through grace and works from yourself? Or he could have even said and works from God. He could have clearly said, we're saved by faith and works that God by grace allows us to do, which I believe is the Catholic position. That we're saved by faith and works, but that all of that stuff comes from grace is what Catholics say. But that's not what Paul says. He says you're saved by faith, by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves. That is the alone part. He's saying the faith is all and that is not even from you so the the thing that's underneath faith alone is that it's not us it's god you say by grace through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god you cannot earn a gift brother and sister you can't earn a gift when someone gives you a gift it's a gift we all know what a gift is it's the gift of god not of works so paul clearly says look you're saved by faith apart from works. You're not saved by works. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If there were any way that we could contribute to our salvation, then we could boast. We could say to people who aren't saved or who fell away from the faith, hey, you should have stuck with it, man. If you would have tried a little bit harder, you would have endured to the end. You would, if you would have done a little bit more good stuff, you would have been saved. No, that person uh, clearly didn't receive the gift, right? The gift is received through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, Paul makes this so clear in the next verse. Uh, for we are his workmanship, means God made us. He remade us in Christ. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, or for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, it's true, works come by the grace of God, but they don't come in order to save us. They come as a result of us being saved. The works are on the other side of the equation. If you imagine a math equation that says, faith equals or faith yields justification, which is being made right in the sight of God, plus works. That's the Protestant equation. Faith alone, on, it, on its side of the equation, alone yields or equals justification plus works. So Martin Luther would say, we're saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. We're saved by faith, but that faith must produce works. 
because that's what real faith does. And that coheres with James. James is talking about a dead faith. James says, can that faith save? No, that faith, which does not have works, cannot save. But that faith, which does have works, can save. You see the difference? He's not saying faith and works save. That's not James's point. No matter how he states it, uh, you, you can't pick it apart such that you pull it out of context. James is talking about people in the church, rich people mainly, who are looking down on others and not clothing the poor and not feeding them and elevating themselves. Those people aren't going to be saved because they don't have new hearts. They have a dead faith. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. You can't say, I believe this, I'm in. No, you have to receive the gift of salvation. And that gift has to be real. It has to come from God. And that faith can save you. And that faith will produce fruit. What did Jesus say? If you abide in me, you will produce fruit. It's not optional. Works are not optional. So please hear a Protestant say this. Works are not optional. They will happen. But if you're relying on your works as grounds for your being made right before God, you're bringing filthy rags to God. God is giving you a gift. That gift will produce fruit in your life. By the blood of Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, you will produce fruit. So, um, yeah, I got a little excited in this one. <laughs> Just because I, it, it pains me that the, that the truth is right here in front of us. And this is the truth which holds all of the truth of Scripture together. It's the whole meaning of Scripture. Is that God came to save sinners. He didn't come to help sinners save themselves. That would have been a waste of time. Because if there's anything that we could do to mess up our salvation, we would do it. That's the whole point of the story of Adam and Eve. They had one thing to not do. They didn't even have to do anything. It was a sin of, um, it wasn't a sin of omission, something they failed to do that sent man into the fall. It was a sin of commission. They had to actively reach out grab the fruit, rebel against God, and they did it. All they had to do was ignore that tree, enjoy being fruitful and multiplying, <laughs> enjoy walking with God in the garden, enjoy all the good gifts that God has. And if any one of us were in the same position, we would have done the same thing. Because we are frail. We are sinful I believe we would have all done the same thing that Adam would have done. Even though he wasn't sinful. We're sinful because of Adam's sin. But Adam didn't have an excuse. Now, now, what are you telling me? That that God, um, that when we come to Christ, God says, Okay, now I'm sticking you back in the garden. Don't, don't eat from that tree. I'm, we're going to try this all over again. That's not what happened. If you have your faith fully in Christ, if you repent and believe turn from your sin, confess your sin to God, 
believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sin, rose from the dead, if you believe all that and real fruit is happening in your life, real works of, the, of love, works of the Spirit are happening in your life, you need to thank God because it's a gift that God gave you. If you think you got that faith because you're awesome, you're wrong. Even the faith is part of the gift. We don't, we don't save ourselves in any way, shape, or form. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says. So um, just wanted to talk about that because it was, it was on my heart. Um, I really am praying to see uh, some Catholic people who I know um, either hear this or maybe God will send someone in their life um, to consider that many things, not just what we talked about today, that their church teaches um, are completely opposed to Scripture. And, um, and I think it's dangerous because if you read Galatians, Paul really warns us against following another gospel. He warns us in, in very strong terms. And he also says that if you're seeking to be justified by the law, that it's not, you're under a curse. It's not going to work. Now I want to cover one more objection real quick as I'm pulling into the driveway here, so this will be quick. Many people will say, well, Paul was talking about the law of Moses. And that's why Paul says you're not saved by works, because he's saying you're not saved by the works of the law of Moses. And James is talking about just good Christian works. Well, on the surface, that sounds plausible. But there's a major problem with that. The problem is not just that people were seeking to be saved by keeping the law of Moses or circumcision or whatever it was that was going on um, in Ephesians and Galatians and Romans. It wasn't all the same issue, first of all. But that wasn't the problem. What does Paul say? He says, he doesn't say you're not saved by works because they're works of the law of Moses. It's not what he says. He says, by grace you save through faith and that not of works excuse me, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. If we were saved by any kind of works, it wouldn't be a gift of God. It wouldn't be not of ourselves, right? If we were saved by good Christian works, like Catholics say that we are, or we were saved by sacraments or institutions of the church, if we were saved by any of those things, it is of ourselves, it is not a gift of God. It, it undercuts Paul's whole point of being against it. The reason why Paul's against it is not because it's the works of the law of Moses. The law of Moses is not bad. The law of Moses includes the Ten Commandments. The law of Moses includes what Jesus summarized when he said, um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to, to fulfill it. Not one jot or tittle is going to pass away. Not one little bit of this law is going to pass away. So Paul is not just saying, hey, you're not saved by works of the law of Moses, but you are saved by other kind of works. Try to read Galatians like that and see if it makes sense. It makes no sense at all. 
Paul's whole point, his whole reasoning for why we're not saved by the works of any kind, law of Moses or otherwise, is because it's not of ourselves. It's because it's grace. Otherwise, grace isn't grace. So you can't take grace and turn it into this thing where you're like, okay, we can preach this whole other gospel that we're saved by works of love, that we're saved by almsgiving, that we're saved um, in some shape or form by Mary's mediation or her co-redemption. We can say all this stuff, and this is this is what Catholics do. I'm not I'm not caricaturing. This is real. I've had many conversations about this. They can say all that because they say, oh, but we say it's because of grace. Now, that completely undermines everything that Paul says. You don't say, oh, we're saved by grace through faith. And then you sort of change what Ephesians is saying and say, we are saved by the works, but the works are of grace. Because Paul's whole point is that grace operates through faith. Grace doesn't operate through works. Yeah, we can say, hey, these works that I'm doing are just because of the grace of God. That's a great thing to say. But we don't turn around and say, these works that, I, that I'm doing are saving me. Oh, but it's because of the grace of God. <clears throat> Everything's because of the grace of God. You could say that about anything. It's, co it's completely meaningless if you redefine it in those terms. And so just be careful, you know, um, whenever you're talking to anybody about anything, really, um, be sure to define your terms because grace isn't this thing where we can just attach it to everything and then re make these statements and then say, oh, but Mary's just a mediator because she's a mediator by grace. Mary's sinless because she's sinless by grace. You know, we could say that about anything. And it turns the whole thing into a caricature of true Christianity. It's just not true Christianity anymore. You can't say, well, God said not to bow down before statues, but now we're under grace, so we can bow down before statues because we're giving God the glory for it through grace. It's just the same kind of like reimagining everything and then using this kind of legal loophole that if you say, well, it's okay that Mary gets glory because it's ultimately to the glory of God. It's okay that we were saved by merit because it's ultimately the merit is grace. So I hope that makes sense because that's ultimately what this boils down to. The way for a Catholic to stay biblical is to take a step back and say, oh, but all that glory is God's glory. Oh, but all that merit is God's of God's grace. And that, brothers and sisters, does not justify um, reimagining the Bible um, with plausible arguments. So what I said earlier, if you have to do gymnastics to uh, hold the whole Bible together and make it cohere as one story, something's wrong with the way you're interpreting the Bible. So that's all I got for today. Um, I know that was pretty controversial. Um, so if you want to contribute or respond in any way, shape, or form, uh, email me at pigeonpost2019 at gmail.com. So uh, love you. God bless. Have a great day. Bye.